I hope that actually works, that countdown thing, but we're live. What's up, everyone? <laughs> my name is Nathan Russell. For those of you who don't know me, or you can call me Russ, because most people can't say my name, and that's just fine. And this is Gonzalo. Yep. I'm trying to remember how to say your last name. Dramonas. Dramonas. Okay, yeah. cool. I, I try hard to say people's names properly with with a name that most people can't say. <laughs> um, yeah. And Gonzalo is the dog trainer, dog and owner of the Human Dog Team. In are you in San Diego? I am San Diego. Cool. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit what you do before we kind of jump into this? Um, I do a little bit of everything, right? When you're in uh, owning your own dog training business, yeah. Um, I. I like to say that I guide people in understanding their dogs, and I like to teach dogs English as a second language, basically. Oh, I love that. Right? I love that. Um, you, more than ever now, I think especially because of COVID, I feel like I there's a lot of like almost like kind of family therapy that goes on in the in-home sessions I do. There's a lot of talk about what's working and what's not working. Um, but yeah, what I do is I do... I do a bit of extremes right now. Um, I've always been really good for the past few years at stopping behaviors, uh, stopping the barking, the pulling, the whining, uh, resource garden, anxiety. And then probably the past eight months, right before COVID, January, puppy people just started coming to me. COVID happened and I got more puppies than ever before. And it's been kind of unreal. It's been pleasant because I went from having to stop behaviors to teaching behaviors. Yeah, it's a total so, shift. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's cool. And I like the extremes now because I see now how much I can use stopping behaviors, or I should say my experience with having to stop behaviors, which has been for 20 years, um, I can give people the, 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 what would you say? I can give them the heads up of what's gonna happen with their puppies. And the people that call me to just stop behaviors, I've gotten way better at developing engagement, motivation, and going past the stop in the behavior, right? Moving yeah. to the level of having a really healthy, and what I try to aim for is a really fun relationship with your dog. You know, structure, of course, whatever that means, but later, okay, well, how, do, how do we bring structure to another level, right? Like, what's the next way? And where I live in San Diego, thankfully, there's a lot of dog, uh, um, you know, friendly places, which actually requires to dogs to be on that next level to be able to go to pubs, restaurants, open parks, beaches, trails, right? Um, right. So I get a little bit of all. Um, I always really thought I was going to be the guy that stopped behaviors. I always thought that that's what I was solely going to do. Um, and I'm grateful that I get to do both extremes now. I'm very grateful. It's a balance, yeah. speaking of that word. Absolutely. When you say going past the stopping bad behaviors, right? So you said like, until until you started really working with puppies a lot, you were the guy who stopped bad behaviors. And then you were kind of thrown into this whole puppy training world, which is awesome and a whole different shift, obviously. Things are very different with young puppies. And now when you work with, the adult dogs or the dogs that need those behaviors stopped, you're working to work past that. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that it depends on the person, right? There's people that come to me that are 
they're they're living with stress because of their dog. And we are gonna solely fo focus on stopping the behavior. And what I should say in the long run is I, I, I don't shame people. I'm not here to tell you what you shouldn't and shouldn't, to what level you shouldn't, shouldn't train your dog. You know, I've lived in a, in a country where people keep dogs tied up in backyards their whole life. I lived in places in, you know, New York suburbs where people are still in the backyard their whole lives. Then I live here, I lived in a town called Ocean Beach where everybody has their dog everywhere. I mean, everywhere, Target, Ocean, you know, restaurants, beaches, everyone takes their dog. So I'm not here to tell you that, but I'm here to give you the opportunity that if you want your dog to be able to, to, to be calm, to be focused, to trust in you and the environment, we'll take it to that level. We don't just have to stop the unwanted behavior at home or stop the resource garden or aggression, right? So I like to give people, um, well, and this is, I'm sure we all do this, you know, it's customer service, um, a menu of everything we can go to. And again, my environment here in San Diego calls for a wide range of clients where when I worked with dogs in the country in like Nevada, there's barely anything people want other than they don't want the dog to get killed by a rattlesnake or the dog to choose right. a truck. Um, so I hope, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, um, yeah, I get it. Like <clears throat> there are some people who it's really just like stop my dog from whatever it is, his bad behavior, jumping on people, barking. And then there are some people like stop that, but we also want a whole lot more. We want our dog to be able to go places with us and do things with us and all of that. And yeah. And I, I guess the way I look at it from my perspective is that obviously that first step has to be like, stop all that nonsense. And then we could actually get you to that next step of where you could have a dog that could go everywhere with you, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it does depend on the on, on the dog. It depends, and this is gonna be, in, like this is always the, every question about dog training, so it's, there's always this line that comes first, which is it depends on the dog, right. it depends on the household, and the skill set that people have. You know, if it's a dog that's like three-year-old, really savvy dog that's jumping on people and maybe barking at cats, a, a nice big no is gonna level the dog out really nicely where the dog's now gonna be magic everywhere. Now a dog that like a rescued pit bull that barely knows to sit and it's scratching when it jumps up, we're not going to worry about playing games or a place command right off the bat. We got to stop the dog hurting people. We got to stop the dog or, or we, we have to help people not feel intimidated in the presence of that dog. Right. So, and it's about, I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, a, I think it's about the, the priorities of the severity of what's going on, obviously. Right. Like I've recently gotten my share of puppies to work with too, just because of COVID. It's not, it's not what I market myself as. Um, I, I, enjoy working with adult dogs but if a puppy comes my way with a committed owner then i'll work with them obviously but what i tell like puppies puppy owners is like we're not going to stop jumping now i don't care like it's a puppy it, we yeah. can stop jumping at six months old and it'll just never jump again or whenever or we could actually live a life with the dog that's going to work really well where it probably just won't jump because it has enough structure and discipline in its life with just the way you live with it that it probably won't do that behavior and if it does come up eventually we could stop it right as opposed to your 95 pound rottweiler that's jumping on people and knocking grandma over and hurting kids it's like obviously that's going to be more of a priority and 
like you said in the beginning, every it depends on the dog and it depends on the situation. And that's that's why I used to do Q and A's um, when I first started doing a lot of social media stuff. I used to do Q and A's, and I stopped doing Q and A's because I felt like every single answer was always going to be it depends, and then me giving an answer that doesn't actually really help because now. I kind of still left you hanging because I don't know all the variables. Unless someone's going to write me a three-page email with everything about their life and their dog, there's yeah. so many variables that like, yeah, you want to stop jumping, but is this a 14-week-old puppy or is this a three-year-old Rottweiler that's, you know, and that that left me hanging where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel like it's the right way to approach dog training for me, you know? Yeah, it's it's, I mean... Look, and I, I'm so glad, you know, I know the type of person you are and I know I can make it, I can make it bigger. Like I can bring up the scope and say, isn't that the way life should be though? Right. When we cook, when we go on dates, <laughs> when we play music, like I don't want to show up to, you know, I don't want to, to show up and let's use food as an example to hang out with a friend and say, Hey, I brought steak. We're only going to cook this the only way we've eaten it before. No, I want to see what he has at his house. I want to see what he has in the drawers, what spices, what things. And and I'll use music a lot as a metaphor. When I go and play on a on a stage in front of people, I don't know. I don't want to come with my set. I want to see the people. I want to, you know, maybe there's places in California where you play a dead, a Grateful Dead song and you have the people enchanted for the whole thing. And then you have places where I've lived in Florida where you play an all blues tune and people are going to melt. It really does depend on the feedback that you're getting and the, and the relationship that you have with the environment. Um, and it's like that from day to day when you have a dog, especially for someone like you, right? I don't do as much as what you do, but like you have a dog in the house. You can't just wake up with like a chart, a spreadsheet that says today we do this only. No, the dog might be slow or the dog might be tired from yesterday. You might've pushed the dog too much or too little. Um, and it's like that you know, with everything. I think I should say this, the softer and more open I get about my approach when I'm training dogs and when I'm educating people, which is really 90% of what I do, um, the better everything feels. I end up having friends out of my clients. I end up having dogs that are willing to take corrections and punishment a little better. I end up dogs that engage with play, which I'm huge about play. I could talk about play forever. You ever seen my videos? It's like, yeah, it's the reward I use with my dogs. Just play, right? Um, so it's important. It's important to be flexible. You know, I've always, my whole life, there was this quote when I first learned English when I was like nine. There was this book that I read and it said, Do you want to be the mighty oak tree or do you want to be the, the bamboo? And then, you know, and it shows a picture of the oak tree looks strong and the bamboo kind of looks a little, you know, like, kind of fragile and then you see the next picture is a storm and the oak tree's broken and the bamboo's just dancing with it right and i've always kept that, that yeah i've always kept that in the back of my brain which is like i don't want to break you know i mean and you know not not i do like breaks but yeah. i don't want to break when something hard happens i don't want to break when a dog does something i don't i couldn't predict if I if I'm open to little possibilities when something scary or something really good happens, I can celebrate or I can move with it. You know, I love I love that you use the music example. I relate to it because like 
you know, I love music. We've spoken about that many times and we love similar music, but I don't always want to listen to like you said, like Grateful Dead, right? I don't always want to listen to that. Sometimes I want to listen to my rap music. Sometimes I want yeah. to listen to blues. And it's that it's it is the flexibility that exists with that I think, especially with the way I train, the approach that I have of doing board and trains that I get, right? I'll have a dog that like you said, it's just not feeling it. It's just not feeling the lesson that I had in mind for it. And I used to be very steadfast. I was like, no, this is what we're doing now. Whereas yeah. if I let the dog have some say in it, right? And and base, base what I want to do on where the dog is that moment, not just even that day, but that moment, then yeah. in the long run, in the bigger picture, we get a lot more. So it might feel slow one or two days, but then at the end of the three weeks, it's all caught up in a much better way. It all comes together much nicer because I've allowed myself, like I've humbled myself to the dog a little bit and yeah. said, I, I got you. I see where you're at. I'm going to be flexible with that so that so that you could actually learn properly. It's not just about me or the content I need to put out. It's about you, the dog, actually getting the most out of this and getting the most out of your stay with me. What I find interesting, I was thinking about this before we went live was the amount of trainers who I know, a lot of trainers who I know and I like, who are either musicians or artists, yeah. um, or just very into music, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I wouldn't call myself a musician, I love music. I used to play drums when I was younger, but I never really took it anywhere. But, but just, it's an interesting thing, how many dog trainers who I know and who I relate to who are musicians or artists. And I, th I think it's probably because of that artisty way of thinking of kind of having a flow to it that ha allows them to be really good at what they do. This is just a thought that I had earlier in the day when cool. I, was, I knew I was going to be talking to you that popped into my head of how the music or art or being an artist, whether it's painting, drawing, whatever, kind of does connect to dog training in an interesting way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look, I'm always very careful by with the things I say to people in their homes, right? I'm always very, very careful, but I do believe it's 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 half science, dog training and music. I can talk about that forever. And it's half art, both things. You know, in music, you have theory, you have scales, you have a beat. In dog training, we have the four quadrants. I love them, I think they're phenomenal. I yeah. We have how reward systems work. We have the science down that we can apply to almost any bird or mammal, right? Music, the same thing. You have your beat, you have your melody, you have your scale, you have the formula. And then you have the art, which is how do you, how is it making you feel at the moment? How is it making the audience making feel, which in return we can call that indoctrinating the dog and the owner. Um, and, and when you train it, when you use it as both, when you have the skill sets, when you've done your hours of repeating the formulas, repeating the tools, Again, whether it's music, right, cooking, or dogs, then it becomes, a, you can go into a flow state at that point. And a flow state being where you don't have to be in your mind, you can be the observer. You can be just a tiny bit above in the room and watching yourself and watching the situation and pulling from the tools that you have in each drawer and knowing well, as much as I want to get the dog to stop jumping right now, it might be better for me to use a little bit of approach with marking the behavior I want, sending the dog to a place, telling the owner to stop touching the dog. Um, same thing with music. 
especially with the instrument I play as a harmonica player, it's very important that I don't play all the time. Right. <laughs> I become, I sound better if, to the human ear, just like right now when we use different pauses, when I don't just go brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
but a shock collar cannot do the job of a knee collar, right? And that, when I make those statements, people get so mad. You know, that one line that I just used, and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna make that line forever now. Because right. until we make it a norm, until we make it a norm, like, I don't want so-and-so at, you know, we, we have these big parks in San Diego. I'm not a big fan of dog parks, but we have these huge parks that you can take your dogs to. And I see these wonderful people, a lot of older ladies with these Rottweilers, Newfoundlands, St. Bernard's, and they have e-collars and they hide off in the outskirts because they don't want anyone to say anything to them. And I'm going, hey, you have nothing to worry about. Just show them what you can do with your dog. Show them that you can have your dog chase a rabbit or a bird in the middle of the road and call them back, you know, and have the dog. And if you train it right, you know, it depends what you want to call right. The way I like to train with an e-collar, on low settings, I love the dogs being ecstatic about coming back to me. I e-collar conditioned dogs that when I tap that little thing on a lowest setting, you are about to have a party when you come to me. So I love showing people. I give people my e-collar with my puppy. And I go, here, I want you to press it. And I want you to see what kind of discomfort my level has. And my dog, you know, he prances. Yeah. Run into you. Even my client's dogs. I train them for that because I want that to be a cue that says, hey, baby, I'm calling you over because good things are going to happen if you leave that. If you don't leave it, I'm going to turn it up accordingly to when you can listen to me. Later on, and we can go from, right, a cue to communication to punishment, I mean, correction to punishment, where a shot collar only has, you know, especially a cheap, even a cheap e-collar, we all know what it can do. I put them on my neck. I've Have you ever seen, like, the old shot collars, like, I think from the 70s or from the 80s? Have you ever seen one of them, those big things? Yeah. Yeah, they're scary. they're scary machines. Like I get yeah. why if some if that's all somebody saw, right, or or like that's the vision that people have on it, why they would be against it. But at the same time, when that was out, when shot collars were the norm, right? We'll just differentiate a shot collar and e collar. When yeah. the shot collars of old were were the tool, right? That was what existed. We also didn't have smartphones and laptops and the ability to do what we're doing now and all of this other technology. But yet people are like. Everything else advanced but that, right? Everything else advanced but like the way you're going to use a tool, the way you're going to train a dog, the type of tool you're using for it. It's almost like they don't want to accept that we've been able to advance with the way these tools work, what they are, how they're used, the whole approach to it, everything about it. They don't want to accept that side of it while they're typing their message about it on their smartphone that never existed when shot collars were the norm. Yeah. Yep, 100%. I love I love that you're bringing this up. I love it because not only has our technology gone up, but what we require from our dogs in day-to-day world has gone up. Yeah. So, if we now if if you're hanging out with me, which right you're on the other side of the country. Look at these amazing devices we're using to communicate. We couldn't scream at each other loud enough. <laughs> right? We just couldn't. We could have used a phone. It wouldn't have been uncomfortable. We would have recorded a phone, then what made like an audio tape for it. Like there's, depending on the technology. Right now we ask the most out of dogs we've ever asked before. We brought dog the requirements to such a level that it's almost like everything, if, if we don't educate people on these amazing tools that we're now using, prong collars, um, e-collars, even the way you can use a slip lead, right? 
Um, sorry, my little my little guy's trying to sneak in here. I'll come in quick. Um, we need to educate people on that stuff because we're bringing up the level of what we require. Now, I always say to people, I use the cell phone as my example for e-collars, nonstop. I tell people, hey, listen, when I have you next to me at a park, we're hanging out, I can talk like this. When we're playing with a Frisbee, I'm going to yell pretty loud to tell you what's when I go, hey, sorry, I keep throwing it the wrong way. Sorry, sorry. If you go even further and I throw it inside a bush or in a canyon here, I can call you on my phone and be like, hey, go to your left. No, 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 you're going too far. Hey, you know what? Come back. Forget the first beat. Forget the first beat. I'm hungry. Let's go home. That's the same thing we're doing with an e-collar with a dog. I yeah. first the dog English. I then teach the dog what a cue means. Come back. Correction, then punishment. And then I translate it to an e-collar, which is my, right, my cellular device. So it's like, why, and you're right on. It's like, why are we allowed to use these technology things to make our life so easy, but we're not allowed to make it easier with our dogs, you know? Um, yeah, and the, the level of, you kind of mentioned this, but the level of what we expect from dogs on average, at least in America, there are countries where people, like, like you said, their dogs just live outside. But at least in America, where we expect dogs to live in homes, apartments, live with other dogs, live with other people, go places with us, then stay home when we don't want them with us, right? Uh, be a part of, like, as I, I like to call it, a human-centric world in a very intrinsic way. We have them there all the time and they're part of it. The, the level that we're expecting from them has gone up a lot. But at the same time, we're much busier too, for the most part. Yep. And then we just expect it just to work without having some sort of either hard work, consistency, all that stuff put in, um, using tools that will enable the dog to understand you better in all with all this stuff going on, with all the distractions that we're throwing them into. It's yep. almost unfair to the dogs to to not have all of that obviously the work put in with it, I think using the tools also is, is a level of that while still expecting them to be able to be such an intrinsic part of our lives and go everywhere with us and have those high demands that we have for them. It's, it's putting, it puts a lot of pressure on a dog the way we want to live with them now. And I think it's totally fine. I think dogs can handle it and it's possible, but we have to do our end of it, right? We can't have these high demands that have definitely gone up a lot, right? Because I think, I wasn't alive then, but I think from what I've heard and like my father's dog, right? Like his dog stayed home when they went out, you know? That's a great topic to bring up too. That's a great topic to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and just to kind of point out, I don't normally compare dogs to humans. I try to stay away from that just for the, like this human, like people shouldn't be interpreting that, especially clients that are having problems. But if you ever meet children that are like superb children, like kids that know how to communicate, that know how to listen, that ask questions, the, the parents yeah. have invested a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot of time. Then you get the opposite. You get the kids that are bratty, that you see parents, no disrespect to anybody, that keep their kids on leashes, that, you know, that like are yelling at it's, I'm not even going to have a comment on that one. So because yeah, you but, said no disrespect, so I'm just going to act like that wasn't said here. Yeah. But it's an investment. You know, I tell people dogs are, are, are wet pieces of clay. You're the mold. 
what you are is what you get. And no, because if you have an aggressive dog, it doesn't mean you're an aggressive person. And if you have a scared dog, it doesn't mean you're, but they are a wet piece of clay. And what you mold it to is how it's going to hold itself to, you know? Yeah. Like, like you, you've compared it to other things during this conversation, but it's, it's the truth of life, I guess. Like what you put in is what you get. Right. And I, it should go without saying, because I've said this so many times in different forms, but obviously to the owners who just got that messed up dog, right. That it's different. There are circumstances that are different, right. A genetically weak dog, dogs with messed up history, but even with those, what you put in is what you're going to get out of it. And yeah. like, I don't have an issue you talking comparing dogs to humans when it comes to these topics if it's done correctly, right? So yeah. my issue with comparing dogs to humans is, oh, he's my baby, so I don't need to have rules. As opposed exactly. to, he's my child, right? You want to treat him like your child? All right, treat him like your child. Do you let your child shit on the floor, right? Exactly. Do you let your exactly. child jump on strangers? Do you let your child bite people? Do you let your child, like, during a, a, a formal dinner, just rip things off the table like is that how you're gonna raise your i don't have children but i would not if i yeah. ever have children it's not going to be raised like that right yeah. and if you want to actually humanize your dog i think do it right because yeah. then you're actually going to have proper standards for what a dog should be because most of the rules if we think about it what we're actually asking from our dogs is not that different than what we ask from anyone who we want to be able to have as a good member of society right yeah. the, like i use this example with clients all the time by go home sessions because i do go home sessions in the client's home so it's a very intimate thing i'm in their home dogs act different it's a it's a very interesting dynamic right but the example that i always use is imagine if i walked into your house i took my shirt off i took my shoes off i put yeah. my feet up on your kitchen table pulled out a cigarette lit a cigarette let my hair down and then we started talking yep like i wouldn't even get to that point because anyone in their right mind would throw me out of their house before i could yep. even light the cigarette right but with our dogs, we bring them in and we do all those things. We let them do it. We say, here's your house. Enjoy it. Do whatever you want. So the dog's like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. So if you want to humanize dogs, I'm like a little rant over here. But if you want to humanize dogs, do it right. Yeah. Think yeah. about the yeah. standards you would have for a human in your house and hold your dog at least at minimum to those same standards. 100%. 100%. If, and to riff off that, I, I always bring up this little thing with a lot of people who tell me, oh, my dog is being disobedient or my dog is so smart. Why is it acting like this? I always like to talk about, I'll bring up the smartest dogs in the world, right? Who are the smartest dogs? You know, that have been recorded scientifically. There are certain dogs that can understand up to 2000 words. That intelligence of that dog is not any higher than a two and a half or three-year-old child. So the smartest dog on the planet will never be smarter than a toddler. Are yeah. you really going to ask that much from your toddler? Are you really going to turn your back on your toddler? Are you really going to just leave them after you got them for three days in your house and not expect them to tear everything up or not expect them to rough around with another toddler and break the rules? Like we have to be fair. And with that said, <laughs> he's bringing me all his toys. Uh, with that said, we have to say it's a different operating system that the dog has on their brain. And, and that's what I call compassion. When, when I understand that my computer or my brain is at the highest operating system, my dogs is not. The, I'm the highest operating system. Humans are pretty high up in the level of intelligence. Dogs are not. It is my most job. Most of us. What's that? Yeah, I said most of us. <laughs> He's staring at me like, dude, don't. 
Don't bring yeah, it. Don't, don't even go there. Um, it is my job through compassion to know that I have to guide this animal. And I'm, you know, I'm, we, we've never talked about this. So I don't know if you will agree or not, but I tell people, Hey, stop expecting things from your dog. When in doubt, just guide the dog. When in doubt, just show it again. Repeat the lesson again. There's no, there's no shame in there, you know, and I can talk about science and why all day. I love all that stuff, but we really want to go back to that thing, which is like, hey, the smartest dog on the planet will never be smarter than a toddler. Why? <laughs> You're going to drop the stuff. Go over there, honey. Um, thank you. I yeah, Guys, if you haven't seen Blue, you should go look at Gonzalo's Instagram to see Blue. He's an awesome puppy. Come up here. Come up here. Come on. How old is Blue now? Blue is about to be 11 months. Do you want to say hi to the camera? No, you're not going to say hi to the camera. I feel no. like I feel like I know him because I've been watching him grow and you work with him since he's like a little baby. Yeah, I'm very um the I mean, I don't normally say this. My my brother's gonna rip me apart because I've always said no, we're not there's no luck. I always say it's yeah. all hard work. But I, I did really get very lucky with him. I genuinely got very lucky. I've gotten very unlucky with all my other dogs. Um, but I got very lucky with him. Is he I, your only dog? Right yeah. Now? I have another dog that my ex has, a uh, lilac. She's a, a pit bull mix. Um, my she's a lot older. She's eleven, and my ex is now has a baby, married, and lives on a, like a little farm. And that girl is perfect there. She did not like the life I live here in San Diego. Gotcha. She was not a fan of dogs coming in and out of the house. You know, personality. She was not. Yeah. She was never gonna like it, and I prefer her living up there. Um, Blue's kind of funny because I thought I was getting a German Shepherd mixed with a Husky. I was like, yeah, I'll have a German Shepherd that's white. And then we did the DNA test and he's just a funky looking Husky. Um, he's beautiful looking. He is, he is. And um, um, he's one of the hardest dogs in the sense of um, asking for, um, you know, just basic obedience for the sense of doing it. For him, he really, he, his life is really about motivation and moving together. You could see the pack mentality of Oski as opposed to my other clients' dogs that have shepherds. I get a lot of shepherds. I get a lot of these, um, you know, labradoodles, golden doodles, yeah. um, pit bulls, who are all very one person oriented dog. Him, it's funny, I've learned the, mo and I, I love the idea of teaching dogs play uh, with Blue. He's taken me to the next level with it because. He could care less about food. He doesn't need. He doesn't need to eat for two days if it was up to him. If you have a ball or a toy, he's like, "Yeah, let's, I'll do everything for a toy." So it's been really fun. It's been a blessing in disguise. That's cool. Do you think yeah. that? Do you think that your flow of puppies came because you started showing a young dog being trained on your social no, media? It was before then. Oh, okay. yeah, it was before then. I remember saying to somebody, uh, a great dog trainer, a friend of mine, I remember like a year ago saying to her, um, yeah, you know, I don't really train puppies. I don't really want to do it because it takes so much time. And I really have, I like the success story. Yeah. And three months later, the puppy started coming in. And then it was like six months after that. Yeah, because I got blue in May, five months after that, uh, when I got him. Um it was, it's been great. Yeah. It's been different. You know, a lot of my clients dogs and there's no disrespect to him. A lot of my clients dogs are super smart. Like a lot of, you know, so I live near an Island called Coronado, which is a military base. Okay. 
a lot of military people are excellent clients. I, I love them. They have great dogs. Um, they have, they understand ob obedience. They understand discipline. They understand structure. They understand consistency. So it's kind of awesome to see how quickly their dogs progress, you know? Yeah, some of my great clients... All my clients are great guys. Love you all. But <laughs> um, I feel like I have to throw that in. But some of them in the past year or so, I had a bunch of people from law enforcement or like that were connected to law enforcement, fire department, things like that. And I feel like the idea of discipline for them just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. It's less yeah. it's less explaining to do when you say like there has to be discipline in life. A system needs boundaries, needs structure. It just makes sense because that's kind of the life that people like that live you know, yeah. at least professionally. So it kind of just clicks right into play. Makes a lot of sense for them. Are you yeah. doing, are you doing board and train these days? I know you just moved into a new place. Congrats on that. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm loving it here. Um, board and trains are a little funny for me. I, I do them a little bit in opposite than most people. So I will only take a board and train if I've worked with somebody even a little bit. Like one-on-one prior. Yeah, yeah, because I need to know that if we're going to put in all this time and money that you're willing to. So if I see you doing the steps, you're working it, and then I'm like, oh, okay, you have the money, but you don't have the time. Let me speed it up for you. You understand the boundaries. You understand the concepts, but you have children. You're stressed out. You got too many stuff going on. Let me let me speed this whole game up, right? Um, I used to take yeah. clients – for board and train like 10 years ago when I was in my mid twenties, I would do that a lot. And I would give back a dog and they would say, Hey, the dog's not, the dog's not doing the stuff that it does with you. And I, 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 I stopped being a dog trainer in my life, right? Midway I stopped. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't, I don't want to tell people what to do with their dogs. I don't mind telling dogs what to do because it's natural for me. Right. So kind of secondhand, but I'm tired of telling people. I'll, I went through a lot in life to be able to get really good at communicating to people and learning that, oh, my my advice and my guidance is going to make your life better. But previous to that, the board and trains, people would just leave them. I would have dogs for months sometimes. People just wanted me to do with their dog what they had heard I could do. But it was rare, you know, and I was around a lot of the, the hippie community, very liberal community. They didn't want to upkeep what I did. Now yeah, it's the other thing. It was too free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they thought, oh, well, you trained my dog. My dog should know. And, you know, this is like pre-YouTube, like right when YouTube was getting hot. So, um, yeah. So it's kind of funny. Um, I love doing board and trains. But right now, I, I should say I like doing board and trains. There's something about going to people's homes for me that is just so rewarding. It's exhausting. I'm not yeah. going to do that. You know, I'm not going to keep that away. Like, it's true. But I love it. I, there's something about it. You know, I have a therapist friend who uh, he says to me, wait, what? You go into people's homes and you have to figure their dog out in one to two hours. And you have to, like, read through the, you know, go through the weeds and figure out what works and what doesn't. I, don't, I like that. It's, like, part detective, part problem solver, <laughs> part uh, – mediator family therapist family therapist so that's why when i say i study a lot that's what i have books on like how to talk to students human students right that i read a lot yeah. um that i i i thoroughly enjoy the one-on-ones 
there's something about it. And obviously, you know, you I could talk forever. I love talking. I love talking about dogs. I love talking about life and dogs and, and how they both compare with each other, right? But um, yeah, it's been how a fun you, thing. How did you get into all of this? How did you start training? Why did you start training dogs? Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a long story. Um, it's funny that we're getting into it. I kind of always feel like people know this about me. Um, in reality, and you know, if, if I'm gonna go back to like the beginning, I think that where I grew up in my country, I'm from Argentina. Um, there's a lot of loose dogs in the street, mm -hmm. so I'll kind of interwine all of it together. There's a lot of dogs. He's bringing the toy again. Sorry if you guys hear him dropping the toy. He's gonna keep bringing it in and out. Um, hey, well, it's the longest that he's been ignored since you got him. <laughs> you need to say hi. You need to. You want to steal everybody's attention right now? Is that the problem? Hey, yeah. Blue. Say hi. <laughs> hey, Blue. Um, in my country, there's a lot of dogs that you know. You're eating an ice cream cone when you're eight, seven years old, and if you don't step up, they're gonna take it from you in the street. Yeah. Right? They'll just come up and take it. Uh, there's a lot of dogs that are fighting. There's a lot of dogs that are doing things that kids in America will never see dogs do, right? Um, so that was number one. Number two, meaning like number one was like, I really got a pretty clear idea of how to use pressure, how to use my You were kind of forced into it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I'll go on these rants forever about nature, right? Like I, I'm, I've been obsessed with nature my whole life. I've been watching nature my whole life, birds, everything. Um, it's all very relatable. So I learned how to use all those things with dogs naturally in my country. Then when I came to this country, my parents first took me to a floral park in Queens. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away. I had never seen a golden retriever in my life before, right? Never. And I remember my neighbors invited us to go over. I was like eight, nine. And the golden retriever chomped on us. And I was like, in Spanish, I was like, no, boo. And I like push it off of me. And everybody was like, wait, how did you get the dog to do that? Like, what? How did you get a dog to stop jumping? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> right? Like, I'll never forget that point in my head. Like how clear it was that Americans did not say no to a dog. Um, then the next step that the next things, three things that happened that were pretty huge for me was my parents got a chow chow. And then they got an Akita for me. And that was it. That really put me, uh, they were not like the dogs that everybody else in the suburbs had. Right. You know, they were independent. They were intense dogs. They, they claimed what they wanted. And I'm the oldest out of five kids. So I had to step up and, you know, and show the dogs what I wanted. I had to show my siblings what was okay and what was not with the dogs. So I got really good. I, um, I had an Akita that I was, I, he, I had two, but I had this one first one who was out of this world. His name was Mako. He was like 120 pounds and the thing was pretty aggressive. What had ended up happening was my biology teacher when I was 15 heard that I was doing what my dog was and kids told them about my dog. And he put a referral at an animal hospital for me to go work there. Nice. We became a vet tech first, it, and it's it was illegal at that time. Right. Right. It, well, I shouldn't say illegal at the time. It was becoming illegal where you would have to have papers. But at that point, 
they needed somebody to do the worst jobs. And you can imagine what the worst jobs are. And I'm talking about putting dogs down, um, weird things, nasty things that really, I paid my dues, you know? So what had happened there was, I always bring these examples to people. Um, they would give me these dogs that had to be put down, that wanted to to kill me, right? And I would ask people, hey, can you just give me four or five hours with the dog? Just give me four or five hours. I learned that like, if I walked the dog around the facility, if I took it outside, which God knows the dog had already been living in hell for weeks, right? I was at least making the dog's life better for a moment. Yeah. Next thing that started to happen was they were bringing these dogs that got hit by cars. And I'm so, sorry, tell me if this is too gloomy or too dark. Like, No, I'm, I'm very interested in it. So they bring these dogs that like, you know, were in severe pain. And what does a dog do when they're in pain? And you touch them, they think you're putting the pain on them. They don't know the car hit them two hours ago. So I had to learn how to, how to contain a dog physically, how to put a muscle on a dog that wants to kill you, every size of dog, little ones, big ones. I had to do all the nasty, nasty things. And then I'll never forget these rescue people came in. And they said, oh, you should just use positive reinforcement for that stuff. I didn't know what any of this stuff really was. And I was like, for what? And they're like, oh, you should use food for this and this. And I was like, oh, well, and this was like very easy for me. I'm not trying to hate on any community out there, dog training community, but they said, if the dog tries to bite you, just throw food at them until they like you. And I went, wait, what? But didn't you tell me that that gives you more of the behavior? And they're like, yeah. And I go, but the dog's trying to kill you. They're growling, you're throwing food. And they're like, yeah, they'll eventually like you. And I'm like, we don't have that time here. Right. And then I started sitting with the vets and asking them, hey, what are, what are these things people are talking about? What are the four quadrants? Sadly, they couldn't explain them to me. Nobody could. The only place that I can find conversations about that was like books on like Stukebers, circus trainers, and bird trainers. That's where my life changed. And we'll kind of go in and out of that conversation. I got obsessed, and this is before YouTube, so I got obsessed with reading about um, Skinner and his pigeons. So I went and my mom, I made my parents give me the garage so I could have pigeons in it. That was a whole bunch of nonsense, right? So I started- In New York still. In New York, yeah, in Long Island at that point. Um, I got these really expensive pigeons, which was very dumb of me because I didn't know better. Um, so I started using positive reinforcement with the pigeons. And I started going like, oh, that makes sense why you would use that to teach behaviors. But it also makes sense why I would never use that with a dog that's trying to kill me. Right. So I learned both extremes pretty early on. Then I started going to my local lakes and I started training the birds and the ducks with cues. I would use a cue that only I would use like a certain whistle and feed them, get them to do certain behaviors. A lot of people thought that was magic. A lot of people thought it was some spiritual thing. And when it comes to dog training, when it comes to animals, I'm like, hey, let's get rid of the myths. Let's get rid of the magic. This is science. This is something we can all do. This, is been, this has been figured out for thousands of years. People have figured this stuff out. Let's stop acting like we're the ones doing it for the first time. Um, let me know if you if I'm going off a off a No, I think it's I, I, I'm very interested in it. I'm interested in, in it's very interesting, first of all, the background that you have in it, because what you came 
you came to the ideas that a lot of people take a while to learn. A lot of yep. it came, you came to it naturally. I don't mean the rewarding aspect of it because that's the part that like most people are kind of just taught, right? If you yeah. go like how, yeah. to, how to teach a puppy to sit, everyone knows, take their food and raise it up. Like you yeah. watch season Milan one time, you know how to do that or something like that, right? Any Anyone can figure that stuff out. But what's interesting is the stuff that takes a lot of people time to figure out was what came to you naturally, which is that it's okay not only okay, but it, it's the right thing to do to use pressure or force, if you want to call it that, right? To to change a dog's behavior or to have a sense of respect from them. And you kind of were forced into it, right? As that little kid that didn't want to lose their ice cream or that yeah. young that young kid in New York who had like a big tough dog that was different than everyone else's dogs in New York because probably yeah. people didn't have Akitas in, in where, where were you? Floral Park, right? And it's I think it's it's fascinating how you came to that whole aspect of it very naturally and then kind of explored the other side of it because you clearly wanted to know you clearly wanted to learn more of it in a real way and and the fact that you went to birds is very cool so i used to follow a kennel online i don't remember what it was called but they they had it was a working dog kennel um yeah. and they would People can go there for, I think it was like three months or something like that and train to learn how to train the working dogs. And the first thing that they had you do was train a chicken. Great. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. like if you couldn't train the chicken, then they weren't letting you touch the dogs. So it's, yes. it's very cool to Mark. hear the how you did the same idea really with birds in your own journey where you approached, let me work with, let me work with the birds, right? Like, I don't know if this is true or not, but to me, it's like, let me work with the bird brain, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. like just the bird. So if let, I can train that, then I can yeah, train so anything. Let's tap into that a little bit. Let's tap into this. So when I talk about corrections and punishment and correct and, and pressure, I I do smile. Like I, I get joy from talking about that because it's people are so idealistic that they don't recognize that that's how nature works. Yeah. Now let's just simplify it. When I say punishment, I am not talking about abuse. All right, I'm talking about something that the dog or an animal does not like. That all depends on the individual. We Nobody gets to choose what that is. That is all on the individual animal, individual dog, personality, breed, whatever. Corrections. Animals are correct. And for me, the word correction is something very different than punishment. Sure. Marley, please. Good boy. Yeah, sorry about that. He's just wandering and he needs something yeah. to do. Down. Now, pressure... Oh boy, it's so important to understand that it is it. There's two two types of communication in the animal world that are everywhere. One is posing, how you pose with your body. Very easy. If I start going like this here, you're you're gonna start shifting. If, if I start holding myself like this, you're gonna start shifting, right? Like how we hold ourselves tells another creature how we're doing. Now. How I approach you and how I come up to you and where I touch you and how I touch you is a very different form of communication. It's a different language. That is pressure to me. But I think people, I hear a lot of certain communities, anti-pressure. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're neglecting what is. You're not just, you're not just being idealistic. You're actually neglecting. You go, it's a beautiful thing to use pressure if you want to use it to direct an animal and to communicate with an animal. Yeah. It and it's, sorry, 
It's yeah. it's such a natural thing that we all use on a daily basis. Yeah. And then we expect that we, as in like the people with these mo- way of thinking about it, that you can just throw it all out the window when it comes to dogs. Right. Yeah. And that, and that it's not only should it not be used, but it's, it's bad. It's abusive where it's like pressure. And, and I'm very much aligned with you the way you're explaining it. I, I think about it the same way. I think what a lot of people think is that pressure is this is an yep. e-collar or pressure is a leash. Whereas those things are forms of pressure, but mm-hmm. it's not all there is pressure can simply be looking at a dog, yeah. right? Like I have a dog with me right now. Who's very, very fearful and skittish. He's not even here for like obedience. He's here just to get over his fear of the world. He's really fully trained with him. Pressure can simply be me locking eyes with him for a second. And that's a heavy form of pressure for him, more than even an e-collar correction. And pressure is such a natural thing to all of us, right? Like when when somebody, and and I guess it kind of goes along with like energy, even though that word is very blah. But but when somebody walks into a room and you feel a certain sense from them, right? And you know something about them. It's not that you're reading their mind. You just know if they're cool or not, right? Um, you know if they'll like if you'll like them or not. When you meet somebody for the first time and you get into each other's space, right? Yep. And you feel uncomfortable or you feel comfortable. That's because of the pressure they're putting on you and exactly. the way you're accepting it. Presence, presence turns to pressure depending on how quickly you move up to somebody or something. Right. Right. And and now I'm using the word pressure in two ways. Energy is how you're using your presence with something or someone or a creature. And I watch this everywhere. I would watch this with fish. I go fishing and I would purposely put out all this extra worms, all this extra stuff. And I would watch how when a certain fish, especially what do they call um, a pike? I think they're called would show up. The bass would get alarmed or when I was feeding the small dogs, what would happen when a swan or a geese came over? They had different, the animal didn't have to apply punishment to get its way. Its present had already pre-communicated with everybody what its role was. And I'm not even talking about dominance here. I'm just talking about what its role in its presence is and what it uses with pressure. Um, And for me, it's just, you know, again, I just have to tell people, I've had a lot of like, positive only trainers come to me because they like that I use play and they like that I'm not like this hard, heavy person. When I talk about corrections and punishment, I think it's very normal. I think I actually, I mean, I always say that it's a very normal thing. It's a very natural thing. Pigeons do it. Every animal I've ever been around corrects and punishes each other. Um, And we'll talk about that too. Why people like to throw the fact around like, well, you're a human. You don't need to do it. I'm like, okay. That's a whole nother conversation, right? But he's a dog and he needs it. <laughs> That's the way yeah. I look at it. It's not well, about me. It goes back to that operating system. The operating my operating system is high enough that I don't have to go and use an e-collar on somebody. I could call them on the phone or I can text them or I can write them a letter. We have a different level, higher, different level of intelligence, right? For communication where animals have not, they're just, they, a lot of animals don't, they will never have that. So we have to, if we are compassionate, if we truly wanted to talk about compassion with dog training, we'd be compassionate enough to know what the animal's technology is. Yeah. Not forcing them to to be like us when it's a lot easier for us to understand what it's like for them. Right? Absolutely. Um, nature, I'll go back to this, if you don't mind me telling you, like, 
So what ended up happening with me was the being a vet tech kind of drove me nuts. I decided I never wanted to work with animals again. I the stress of it, the stress, the sadness. There was so much. It was almost like depression. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother conversation. There was a lot of depression involved with me and with the people I was working with. So I met my harmonica teacher around that time, around 16, 17. He is, was a very great blues musician, and he kind of took me in under his wing. He took me in to t- teach me everything about his music, but he also would rescue these pit bulls that nobody would adopt. So we would always work with them a little bit. We'd talk about that. We, we, we would process the existence of the dog. What I decided was, you know what? I want to be a hippie. I want to travel the country. I'm going to do work exchange and play music everywhere and see the world. What ended up happening is I did a program called Woofen, Worldwide Organization of Organic Farmers. And every farm I went to around the country, I ended up being the animal caretaker. <laughs> You couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Everything you can imagine. Wild dogs, dogs that were hunted, dogs that were, you know, all kinds of things. It was when I was around these crazy horses up in the Redwoods that wild, they're kept wild. Like they're, they're kept in corrals and we had to feed them and take care of them and groom them. That I was like, oh my God, this is so clear. It's everywhere. It's pressure. Like I ran away from the idea of having to, I wanted, I was idealistic when I was a kid, when I was 16. I wanted animals to learn to communicate like we do, where I finally figured out around the age of 20, 21, 22, like, oh, no, 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 no. I have to only study them. I'm going to study about them as much as possible. So long story short, when it comes to this part, I ended up coming back to San Diego. I go to San Diego, and this lady hears about me playing music, and she goes, hey, I hear that you play music. And I need somebody to watch these dogs at the dog at the doggy daycare that I have. It's a mess. I only have this other person working. It's a mess. Do you want to come play music for the dogs and hang out with the dogs a few hours a day? Very, very within within a few weeks and a few months, I end up managing the place, and I end up running the place by myself. It's, it was called Grant the doggy daycare or Grandma's house. It was a okay. it was a house that was set up as a doggy daycare, and I have to say. Like woodshedding, when we talk about woodshedding, like getting your chops up, it was perfect for me. It was ideal. What ended up happening was it was a home. It wasn't a facility that was turned in for dogs. And people would come pick up their dogs. And the next day they would come or the next week they come, they say, hey, I don't know what you did. What did you do to my dog? I'm like, what? And they go, my dog's walking better. My dog's sitting on, on, a, on a location all day when I tell it to sit. And I go, oh, we have to do that here. I didn't know anything about this stuff. I, I, there was no social media. I was just imitating nature. Right. I knew that predators sit still for hours before they will, right? So I started taking each thing. I started going, wait, they have to sit still. There's individual levels of playing. I was reading about, I always wanted to be a good boyfriend. So I was reading, I've always been reading about love languages and how to communicate with my partner. So I started studying what is the love language of dogs? How are dogs working? How is each individual personality? What ends up happening is a very well-known dog training company here in San Diego who only use positive reinforcement. I'm not going to use any names, calls me and says, Hey, 
we hear that you can stop behaviors. We we can't figure out a way around it with using treats. So this guy who's making a lot of money wants to pay me money I've never imagined I could get paid for dog training. And he goes, I want to watch you, kid. And I'm like, okay. And I went to an open what's that? He was open to the way you were doing things. <clears throat> yeah, he had hit he had hit uh, rock bottom. He had three pit bulls, and this is the only information I'm going to give, so nobody can figure out who he is. And he had to okay. separate them all in each in a bedroom each. Gotcha. Uh, oh God, I go into my client's home, and the lady says, "It was something along the lines like, uh uh-uh, baby, no, we can't do that,' and pets the dog. And I was like, "Hey, which one of those words means we don't want you to do that stuff ever again?" I say this in front of my new boss, right? And she goes, uh, all of them. I said, no, uh, no, I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's simplify. I want uh-uh to mean you're not on the right track. And that in my terms, I call that a correction, right? And I want no, or at the time people were using the ch-ch a lot. Yeah. I want that to mean F no, <laughs> never again. And this dog would eat cat poo. It was like, um, I forget. I think it was a Rottweiler mix. So she had said to me, I have a can. And then whenever I shake this can, the dog stops. And I go, oh, easy. Let's put a cue on it. She goes, what do you mean? And my boss at the time was like, "What? You, no, no, we're not going to scare the dog. I'm like, no, use the word no. So this is early on, 12 years ago already. I've always teach people this. Take the dog to a low distraction area. And role play your no. Don't just wait until you're in the middle of the hot shit. <laughs> role play it. Set it up in the house. Put some chips on the floor. Walk in with the dog. Say no. Wait a second. Do something the dog doesn't like. Boom. Now you have conditioned the no without having to hope that it works outside in the real world. Right. And and the way that I, I do I do very similar things to that, obviously, because I think that if you don't role play it, it's going to be very difficult for anyone, as much as you've been doing this forever, to have your timing on point of when you say no and when you administer a correction or a punishment, whatever you want to call it. We'll get into that. Yeah. But that that to actually have it on point. But in the dog's mind, if I have somebody, if, like, if I text my friend and be like, hey, you busy? Can you come ring my doorbell? <clears throat> right? And the doorbell rings and I say no and I correct the dog and I send them to place. The dog doesn't know that I just sent that text. Yeah. In the dog's mind, that works for the mailman, for the Amazon guy, for grandma, for everyone, right? Exactly. And on our end, we're actually able to be on top of it. So many people wait for it to come up in real life. And then they're like, well, I punished the dog and it didn't work. It's like, well, your punishment obviously wasn't at the right time. That's why it didn't work because you weren't ready for it. So role playing is definitely the way to go if you want to actually be successful with it. And yeah. the, and one more thing that I like to clarify on that is people like to say, well, it's unfair you're setting the dog up. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm doing the exact thing that I know how the dog reacts to it already. And I'm doing the same thing that will happen either way. All I'm doing actually is setting him up for success for when it happens tomorrow and I'm not ready for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I think people forget that we also did get taught the same way as toddlers. As toddlers, like you go to touch your your siblings or your cousin or the school or your students like food and somebody's like, no, no, no. You're going to get moved away from this table or we're going to put you in a corner. It is role playing. Yeah. You're making it on a micro level 
to a place where you're not waiting for them to grow up to teach them, hey, we don't take food from someone. So later when I'm walking out in the street as a toddler and somebody, and I start walking from the sidewalk to the street and somebody goes, no, 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 I go, I don't need the car to teach me no. <laughs> right. I, you know, we, we, we've done this before. Another thing that's important to talk about correction, punishment with the word no for me, is I've seen a lot of dogs hunt. Now, a predator that wants to hunt, you can talk about a dog, you can talk about a lion, a wolf, a coyote, a fox. If you ever watch them hunt, what is the animal they're trying to kill doing to them? Hurting them. Making it very uncomfortable for them to catch them. So we understand that when an animal is trying to kill something, your dog, a predator, is built to get hit with so much dopamine and cortisone that they don't feel it. Yeah. Why would I wait to correct the dog then when its drive is so high they, they won't feel an easy no? When I can teach them an easy no ahead of time. Right. Half you the know? time that stuff just amps them up more once they're in that adrenalized state. It's just like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Exactly. And this is what I'm always going back to nature. And a lot of, you know, I have a lot of positive people that come to me and I'm like, hey, you're not honoring the dog. If you think that you're going to stop it, number one, you're never going to stop it with positive reinforcement. The math, the equation just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's, it's a math problem. That's how right. we see that is. I don't know if we need to get into that. But the punishment, you have to recognize that the dog is hardwired. We are being compassionate by understanding that the dog is hardwired to not feel anything when it wants to take something down, when it wants to play like it's going after a prey or it's trying to kill something. Especially dogs that are very good at killing other animals. There's you're not gonna do anything. There's nothing you can do that's gonna snap them out. Right. You have to you have to go to the you know the the load and excitement arousal, whatever you want to call it. You have to get it as it scales up. Same way that you would with another human. If you have a human that's having a bad day, you don't say to them, hey, let's go to this really obnoxious loud bar and hope you forget your problems. No, they're going to start a fight at the bar. You know, right. take them somewhere where they can walk with you, where they can talk with you, where they can de-stress, de-escalate. Then you can say, hey, how are you feeling? I'm feeling better. Okay, do you want to get a drink at the bar? Do you want to get a drink at the at the convenience store and take it home somewhere that's easy for you. If I'm going to let you get excited, let me do it at a level where you're in control of yourself. You yeah. Know? And if you think about the bar is a great example, because like that's where the fights happen. Right. Yeah. If you think about if, if some that say that friend, right. And you know that that friend is the friend who, when they drink, they get violent, right. Just, just that's how their drunk is. If they're in a setting where it allows for that, then as somebody who cares about that person, you're not going to bring them there, right? Yeah. And if if you are in that situation and that person is drinking and you know this friend well, so you know that look when they're yeah. about to get into that space, you're going to take them away from there beforehand. But chances are once they're in that violent state and you try to hold them back, that punch is just going to come out stronger, right? Or because or at you, right? That's redirection, or yeah. that's the or that's the dog coming out even harder in that hunt, as you described it. Yeah. And it, it's important, I think, to as much as we don't want to humanize it, to think about it in these ways sometimes, so that it makes sense for the human who's now being told punish your dog or correct your dog for that look. Yeah. Whereas they can be like, but he hasn't actually done anything yet. But if yeah. we think about it a little bit from a human perspective, we can realize that 
it's not even that it's not even that we're saying like it's not even that we're angry or or doing something to this dog punishing this dog for the fight it's that we're just like taking him out of that space just like how you would take your violent friend out of the bar before the fight starts yeah and 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 there's two things coming up if you don't mind i'll, I'll riff with you for a minute um and it's not even like we're comparing it to a human thing we're actually comparing it to an animal experience all yeah. animals do this humans are animals it's not a human only thing it is ingrained in us that when we are stressed we should deal with it and be a little bit more callous and not tuned down you know one you know i get some people that say to me like i can't believe my dog bit me when i was trying to bite this other dog and i'm like really you don't remember that one friend that got too drunk at the bar and you tell him to you stole him you told him to stop screwing around and he turned around on you and cursed you out like <laughs> Come on, right? It's not unnatural. The dog doesn't hate you. The dog doesn't disrespect you. It just doesn't have, it's not grounded. Um, just to kind of riff a little bit on, on something, we kind of brought it up and I'll, I have these different stories going on in my mind, but I do separate the words correction and punishment, right? I like to separate them. I know my favorite dog trainers don't. Some of my favorite dog trainers use them both. So for me, I use the word, uh-uh, right? When a dog does something that I don't, when I'm treating, when I'm, when I'm teaching the dog something and the dog kind of gets it, they kind of get it. They kind of got the hand of it. When they start doing the right, the wrong behavior, I say, uh-uh, I take them back. I reward. That's what I call a correction. Meaning like a correction to a test or a grade. Well, you got this wrong. Uh, if you know, if you want to take another chance of doing the right thing, I might give you a better grade. A punishment is the opposite to me. A punishment is, oh, you got this wrong. We never want this again. And whether you do the right behavior afterwards or not, you're never going to get rewarded. Right. So I like to separate them because, you know, I joke around that being an immigrant, I've always used the dictionary. Right. And in the dictionary, the word correction and punishment are two different things. A correction to me is what I say to a dog previous to the loading and the excitement. I check them in. I'm like, hey, I know you smell something that I can't see. You're letting me know because you're you're doing behaviors that, that I don't pay you for. You're on the wrong track, honey. Can you tune in? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm tuning in. OK, you're going to get rewarded. I always tell people this, the, the more binary we are, the more black and white we are, the more we can use our intensity in extremes, the more the creature has to pay attention. So if I start talking a little softer right now, you have to listen a little better, right? And then if I bring it up loud, you go, whoa, okay. That's how I use my correction. My correction is a little louder, a little more intensity, a little bit more pressure, right? Intensity of everything, of, of sound, leash, volume. But my correction is made to say to you, hey, you have a choice to continue on this path and get a no, a punishment, whatever that means. And for people listening, it doesn't mean we use a bonker or an e-collar or a prong every time. That all depends on the dog, right? You, the dog gets a choice. Hey, uh-uh, be aware, yellow light, yellow light. Do you really want to keep going through this and see if you go through the red light? 
or do you want to maybe stop and wait for the green light, right? And then I'm, curi Go I'm ahead. curious. I'm listening to everything you're saying, and yeah. I, I, I hear it. I don't necessarily know if I agree because I'm curious if you use the term correction versus punishment in that instinct instant because it sounds and feels better to the client, or no. because you actually differentiate between the two. I differ. I and I and I'm not trying to sell my stuff here, but. I no, no, I'm, I'm genuinely curious on, I'll no, explain no, to you why I'm asking that. Yeah, yeah, just so you know, I have everything written down. I keep everything, everything I talk about, I'm very transparent. I keep it written down on my website. I have a portal yeah. free and everybody can see, the, I call them learning markers. I explain, uh-uh means you're on the wrong track. Try again, try something different. You will get paid if you do the right behavior. That's a correction. I'm correcting your behavior. Right, I get that. And punishing means um, I'm going to only say no. Then if you don't stop, if the no, if you don't know what a no means because your drive is too high up, I will apply a punisher. And even if you do the right thing, you absolutely do not get a reward, right? You don't get a reward for slowing down. It's a wrong you. marker. The uh-uh is a wrong marker, right? Like wrong answer on the multiplication, multiple choice. Perfect. Perfect. And why I separate that is because a lot of dogs that I train that are not severe cases, once they get a punishment two times, a correction, they can anticipate that the correction will bring a punishment, right? Now, does it make clients feel better? Maybe. No, here's why I was asking Go that ahead. because I'm curious <laughs> because it's an interesting thought. And I like to think deeper about the behavioral aspect of this stuff more yeah, than yeah. just like, this is what I do, right? So when you give a correction, I'm using your terminology. So when you give a correction, the uh-uh, yeah. how does the dog know that's the wrong behavior? Oh, we practice that. So I'll practice no, but what I'm asking is in that instinct. So let me let me give a, a picture, right? Let's say you're teaching place, right? Yes. Or teaching, I use place, I use right. place to corrections. Right. I figured so. So you're using place, right? And you've done a bunch of drills or however you teach it and dog is doing it really well. And then he makes that mistake and the paw comes off or he walks off altogether. You I do say, uh-uh. Uh and then? And then I guide the dog back and then I feed. Okay. That's why then I was then, curious. Yeah. And then the next thing that happens after they know what uh-uh means, two or three uh-uhs later, it's uh-uh, then no then the punishment and they go, oh, oh, I got you. You gave me a clear cue that I could avoid the punisher, right? Now. So uh-uh is really just used. And I, just tell me if I'm, I'm just kind of trying to please, understand please, the way you use it. Uh-uh <laughs> would just be used in the learning phase, not as a finished product, right? Obviously not finished, not but you know a, what I mean. Yeah, definitely not as a finished product, but then so once we get the place, like the place is a pretty particular example because I don't uh-uh dog coming out of place after we've done 100, 200 reps. Right. But I will if we are, if I'm saying, hey, go get your Frisbee. And they look at the soccer ball. They're like, I don't want the Frisbee. I want to tear apart that soccer ball. Come on. I go, uh-uh, get the Frisbee. <laughs> because if right. I punish the dog for going after the soccer ball, not the Frisbee, they're not going to go do anything. So that's, that's a key thing to me where I would finally like that. I would hundred percent agree with because to me, place and getting a Frisbee are two different standards. Place is something that's necessary 
for dogs the the way I, the dogs that I work with in order yeah. to have a good life in their home. Sometimes in order to stay in their home, and as I, opposed to getting a frisbee. Getting a frisbee is dessert. It's not necessary. I don't care like if I don't train dogs to to get frisbees. I don't train dogs to do tricks, right? I think it's awesome that you do, and it's a cool thing. But the dogs that I work with, it's like stop making your family's life miserable. Chill on that place for a while and learn how to relax, right? Now, if you're teaching tricks, which is essentially what get that frisbee versus the football is, then I totally agree. Don't punish the dog for not getting the frisbee because we don't want to take out that excitement in the play. It's a game, right? So perfect. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly why, right? That's exactly why. Because we don't want, because I love using play, not having to use food, not having to always use praise. I'm not... I love saying I love touching the dog, but I'm not huge on praise outside. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of freedom and play. So I need a word that lets the dog know to correct the animal. And and I I my dogs go on their pretty big heavy tests. Like the fields people see my videos on, there's 200 kids a few yards away from us playing soccer ball. And I have my soccer ball that I'm playing with the dogs, right? So I don't need to shut the dog down and I didn't, I shouldn't use that term either, but I don't need the dog to be like, Oh no, I really screwed up. No, you didn't really screw up. You will, if you continue to think about it or if you load up. Um, but again, there are some people that like the people that nag their dogs all day, honey, oh no, this, uh, no, this, Oh, they never get taught the, uh, uh-uh until way later. They need to be taught or punished. Right. People that have a puppy, we use a lot of the uh-uh because we're trying to build the dogs and tooths and enthusiasm and drive into potentially working outside of always needing guidance. I love making, I love, I mean, to be honest, and this is going back to the beginning, I didn't mention this, but I think what really gets me the most high as a dog trainer is when my clients' dogs are making the right decisions in front of us. When the dog can just like be an individual and can say like, yeah, I've been told the rules of the road, speed limits, to use my signal. And now that I know all these rules to drive in a car, I can go anywhere, you know? And I I thrive on that. So that's where I want a dog knowing like, hey, there's a lot of words that I'm gonna use with you, markers when you're out. There's only one marker I use that means Never again do that behavior. But the rest is like, hey, let's learn. Maybe not. Maybe so. Try a little different, right? Um, so, yeah, I get I get your concept and, and how and why you do it. Yeah. I think that for – I'd be curious how you, like yeah. the way you approach this. So the way that I look at the things that I teach, right, which is really lifestyle training, right, versus trick and play training, right, Um and definitely you can use play in that. You can use tricks in that. I know that, but I'm differentiating the two. So for lifestyle training, the way I look at it is, hey, dog, here's a set of standards that you have to live by in yeah. order to exist in our life, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to most of the dogs that I work with who are generally coming to me not because they're puppies, not because they need to learn how to sit or how to fetch or something like that. They're generally coming because that owners are fed up with something, right? Yeah. And yeah. and at that state, it's like, all right, let's let's teach you the standards so that life can get better from you here for for you from here on in and for your owners from here on in, right? Yeah. And when it comes to that, 
there's it's obviously there's teach, but then once the dog knows those standards, don't break those standards. And that would be more of that would be more of a punishment for breaking the standards, right? It's like welcome into my home, right? Like if I bring a dog into my home, welcome into my home, don't jump on my dining room table. I don't care, right? Sure. And same th and then once we teach place, welcome into my home. In our home, dogs like to hang out on beds. That's what you're going to do. Don't get off of it until you're released. Yeah. And it kind of sets the standard from the beginning of how I feel about these rules that I'm setting in place for you, the dog, as yeah. opposed to if a dog gets on place, gets off of place, I guide them back on, they get a reward. Exactly. You start to. And now you're creating this cycle of a dog going, oh, I get off of place. I get a, uh, uh, I get back on place. I get a reward. That's so, my issue with that system. Well, that, and that's what I call a yo-yo effect. Will you create a yo-yo effect within the dog? But again, why would I use an ah uh when I teach place? It's when I'm first teaching the dog to walk onto its place. Once the dog gets, I, so another word is this, another thing that's important is I never name a behavior until the dog, the behavior is beautiful. I never name it. Once the behavior gets named, I don't get, I don't, especially for behavioral issues, I don't use an ah uh Okay. I don't because you learned it. Like you've been taught how to love it and how to celebrate this behavior. Don't step out of line. You've been taught how to drive and stay in the lane. The freedom of driving, the freedom of being in a place and watching and getting things that you want or having all the other dogs around, that is the reward. Now, don't go swerving. We're going to have to stop you and check you out, right? Um but again, I think, you know, and I want to point this out. Most of my life, 95% of my life as a dog trainer, I've been the guy who has to stop dogs barking, snapping, pulling, and being reactive out on walks in a place that demands a lot out of dogs in San Diego. Right. So um, a lot of dogs get, get nose the maturity. Now the uh-uhs becomes for a lot of people, I have a lot of um, – some I have some clients, not a lot, right now, who are duck hunters, right? And they need to keep the dog engaged. They can't just shut the dog down. They can't have the dog go into a turnoff um, switch, which I talk a lot about turning the dog on, turning the dog off. And the uh-uh keeps you there. The dog knows, oh, I just got to keep trying different things. Just don't move towards that area. But right. never will we do it with, with the rules of life, like – Okay, hey, you don't that I totally understand. That I, that I'm on board with because we're differentiating two different types of training in in yep. what we're actually getting out of it, right? Rules yep. of life don't break, right? You want to like you example of driving a car. You want to drive a car, don't break that speed limit, otherwise you lose that privilege. End of story, right? Yep. As opposed to you want to be on a little league team, like go play, and if you, if you strike out, you strike out, but you're still playing next round. Yep, yep. Now let's say this. <laughs> I'm gonna, I might be crossing some lines. I was raised by Italian grandmothers in Argentina. Uh, if I walk into their home, if my friends walked into their home with their shoes on, someone would say to them, hey, 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 shoes. That's a correction to me. Right. If I walked into one of their homes with shoes on, I get a wooden spoon thrown at me. Because you have the standards already, that's life. Exactly, right? Yeah. That's so actually that's a great example. 
Yeah. So to me, it's like that's the difference between a correction and a punishment. If you come into my home and you pet my dog when you first walk in, I'm going to go, hey, 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 sorry, don't pet my dog. My dog has to go to a place or a crib. If you're my, I hope my brother's not listening to this. He's a great dude. Uh, I love him. He helps me a lot. If he walks into the house and he just pets a dog or anybody that knows me, I'm like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? Dude, what are you doing? We all know what Blue needs to be cool, calm, and collective, right? <laughs> so it is right. a different. That's the, the standards that are already set in place, right? Like yep. using your Italian grandma example, like the standards were set in place with grandma from day one, right? When you were two years old, you already knew these rules. So, yep. and we, we should also just, we should also comment what are grandmas normally nurturing? They give you the best rewards. They give you right, a lot. Right. Of I'm sure your grandma didn't beat you with the spoon every day. Just when you looked at her, but but, right. I remember that one time, that one time that spoon came out forever. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to make sure my shoes are clean forever. By the way, changing subject all completely for a quick second, but we said this was going to happen in the middle before we even chatted so that we were going to get some beard, beard <laughs> comments. <laughs> Oh yeah, so, oh, yeah. Right, well, I just had to throw that in because we we literally had that conversation right before we went live. Um, Your, right. Yours is on point. Yours is like sharpie to end. You got yours all yeah, because, the time. because I go to a I go to a Spanish Dominican Republican Dominican Republic barber you know and they know how to do lines. Yeah, so. here nobody will do beards in San Diego right now because of COVID. So, uh -huh. well, it's still not an excuse, but um. um yeah, Oh, super random. Is there a time limit on on our talk? No, unless unless you got to run. I know it's earlier for you than it is for I me. Don't. I don't. This is great. This is awesome. I love all this. Um. So if I make, can I bring it back to why I, how I learned about corrections instead yeah. of punishment? Because mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are like they want me to teach them about corrections and punish mostly punishment, right? Because people are just like somebody, please tell me how to stop my dog. Right. Uh, Rand, I'll just, I'm sorry, I know I'm going back to another thing and, and you can direct the conversation whatever way, but what ended up happening to me was I, I, in my early twenties, mid twenties, I ended up having a dog training company. I was really well known uh, for stopping pit bull behaviors. Like everybody wanted to come to me because I had a pit bull. Everybody came to me with pit bull issues. I got hit by a car on my motorcycle uh, broke my hand. You were in, you were in California at this point. Yeah, in San Diego, and tore up my sciatica. I had sciatica issues, back issues. At this point, I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what I was going to do. I couldn't do anything. I was kind of like it really beat me up a little bit. I was running a bar, a music bar, and dog training night and day. Right, it was great. So, I'm dating this girl, and her family has a wedding company. And we're just talking one day and they say to me, hey, all these people keep asking for dubs. Do you know anybody who does dub releases? And I go, well, you don't want to do a dub release. If you release a dove, I didn't know better. The dove's going to die. They don't go anywhere. You need pigeons. And they go, well, how do you know about that? I'm like, I've trained pigeons. And they go, could you do it? I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I do a little bit of research and I'm just like, wait, what? You're going to pay me two to 500 bucks to release six pigeons that are going to fly back home to me? Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. So I took some of my money and built a huge coop, trained 120 pigeons. And then I went beyond that. I started training birds 
to do certain behaviors around brides. So I always love telling the story because, you know, you always have to condition dogs around every variable, right? All fond, mm -hmm. fond environments and distractions. I mastered that with my pigeons. I picked 20 pigeons that were the most, you know, socially were really, really good with me. I would wear a white sheet and I would throw them above and have them flutter down slowly and hover down. And I trained them to do that and then go back in a crate. And they would drop in a crate. This is outside. And then I could do it again. So I could have multiple weddings in a day where these women could have all these pictures taken. Instead of just holding this bird tight and go blah and hoping somebody catches a picture, you would have endless repetitions that you would get to use with these pigeons. Now, birds, you, you, you have to use positive reinforcement. You must. Right. What never works with a bird is positive punishment. Right? It never works because what does a bird do if you punish them? Fly away. I'm, I'm assuming just get scared and go leave. They'll never come back to you. Right. But you can withhold food. You can close the crate and they know. They start going, oh, I got to do it quicker. Oh, I got to do it on this cue. So ironically, they made me better. It was actually pigeons who made me super good at marker training, my timing. With a bird, their brain's going three times faster than ours. You do it at the wrong time, and then you're spending an extra two weeks on training them. Um, they have a lot of awareness. People don't understand how much pigeons actually act like humans. They have a very complex social structure. Um, they keep their homes. They have multiple rooms. They have a partner. They get jealous. They they want to take care of their, their young. They have a lot of things that look a lot like human stuff. Um, I couldn't, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to stop these hawks, falcons, it was falcons, from eating some of my pigeons. So I started breeding pigeons that were faster and better. And all this stuff would happen, all this stuff would happen. Eventually, I took a break from all that. I went and I went all around the world, all over again, playing music. I went and lived in music communes in North Carolina and Hawaii. I end up coming back again to California and I realize, you know what? I don't know anything about hawks or falcons. So I contact one of the world's best guys that takes you on like a falcon, a hawk adventure, right? They'll like put it on your arm and walk you around and go hunting. And I say to him, hey, I wanna learn. And this is, so this is going back, you know, the way I look at life is if you wanna learn something, you just call the best person in the world. This is pre-social media, pre-YouTube, right? Right. So you go. He says to me, "Hey, man, like, what? What was going through your mind when you're like, I have to learn about hawks and falcons?" I was tired. Well, anything that I have a hard time with, I want to learn. So, like, okay, I couldn't believe that, like, how hard it was to play, for example, harmonica, to play jazz on the harmonica. So I went and studied in Harlem School of Arts. I would go and study out of there. Jazz musicians, right? Like I've always just go knocking on the door. That's like the biggest monster for me. The biggest monster was these birds of prey were eating my pigeons years ago. And I wanted to know how, why, and, and why pigeons, falcons, and dogs, the horses too, they're, it's ancient. Like our connection with those animals are ancient. We've used right. them as technology. Right, like pigeons, like they were our number one source of communication for hundreds of years. 
dogs were our number one source of hunting, uh, horses, transportation, and then falcons hunting too. Almost everywhere across the planet, people learned how to take birds of prey and use them to get more food with them. So I was like, I need to know about this. I can't pick a life career right now until I know about this. So I end up calling this guy. He's a wonderful human. And uh, and he says, no, there's there's nothing. Look, I'm not going to take somebody who's never been around a, a falcon and train you. And I go, oh, okay, well, I'm a really, you know, I'm good with dogs. Oh, okay, well, I have to take the dogs. And he goes, you know anything about birds? Can you keep some pigeons? Because we got to raise pigeons here to feed the hawks and the falcons. And I'm like, yeah. At that time, I had invented my own technique of keeping parasites and disease away from pigeons by using cat litter. I create like a huge cat litter system with birds and then using garlic and different things. And he goes, oh, well, can you come here and teach me and all my friends that? Because we are having parasites in our pigeons who are passing along. What's that? And then it's going to the hooks. Yeah. And they're like, we have these $80,000 birds and we can't be having them with parasites. And I go, yeah, sure. I show up there and it was heaven, heaven. It was three mentors, three different mentors took me. One hybridizes them. He created, his name is David Chamison. He was the guy who got the peregrine population back up in the world. He created a way of breeding, of in, um, impregnating the bird using semen. And it takes imprinting. You have to imprint the female into thinking you're a male bird. And he taught another guy, Martin. Martin had a facility with over 200 uh, falcons. Wow. And then Jim, the guy who I originally called, had 12 different species of raptors. I got to live in each of their facilities for months. I rotate them. I got to learn everything. Now, in the process of this, I learned about shit, things I never learned before. I learned about customer service. I learned about running a business. I learned about bookkeeping. I learned about all these things that were always the issue I had with my dog training business. Things were great, great with them. I mean, I learned more about humans, right? Like humans in reality. So what ends up happening is I want to go from Nevada. Now that I worked with the top people in the world, these people were breeding, the people in Nevada were breeding uh, hybridized birds for the Prince of Dubai. And I would have them out in these fields. We would take these hybridized birds, put them in these towers, and I would have to feed them every morning. They would be baby birds. They would fly off the tower. I would have to pick them up at night, put them back in. When they heard that I could do this, they well, sorry, my mentor was like, hey, now that you can do this, you can go work for whoever you want. I said, well, I wanna work with the best Harris Hawks in the world. Harris Hawks are the only social uh, raptors that, that that hunt in a social pack. So I decide, hey, I'm going to go from Nevada to California and then to Louisiana, where the best Harris Hawk trainers are. I'm going to go work with them. In the process of going with them, a really wonderful dog trainer lady here in San Diego, she has her assistant call me and say, hey, we're about to run a TV show here. We need somebody to train dogs for us. And then an old client of mine from years ago says, hey, I got another dog. If you come, I'll pay you this money if you can train the dog every day. At that point, I'm like, oh, no. Do I go into the middle of the swamps and make no money training hawks? Or do I go back to EC living in San Diego? When I get to San Diego, all my friends from that bar I used to run have a 
Grateful Dead Bluegrass cover band. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm staying in San Diego. So I came to San Diego and that's where the human dog team started up my company now. And that's where I've been playing music. And it's been a whole circle, right, of really understanding all the different quadrants of animal training due to these different animals that I had to work with. And also these working as a dove release company, working with uh, taking people on raptors adventures. And I had to talk to people. I was only like a few weeks in and I would have to like give them the history of falconry and to call each bird to the arm. I was like, man, if I could do this in the desert, I could be dog training in San Diego, right? Were these birds being used for actual active hunting or is more just to show them off? Uh, both. A little bit both? of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. The birds that were two, two of the people that were breeding the birds, heavy duty breeding, we're talking about like they would have these gigantic circular bars at barns. I had to help build one. That's how I had to, I had to do a lot of nasty thing, things to pay my dues in every job I've ever done. Even as a harmonica player, I would have to like mow lawns. As a falconer, I would have to clean hundreds of quail for, you know, had to do all these things. But the, the beautiful thing was they would take these birds and they would hybridize them because you're taking these different species to make a really big version of a peregrine falcon because peregrine falcons hunt birds really well but they don't hunt, hunt mammals well like rabbits or rats the prince of dubai and all those people paying a lot of money they want to use the fastest birds in the world for hunting bigger prey so these guys in nevada out of nowhere these like the complete opposite in in everything in religion and politics and way of life are like oh yeah we breed them here and we have so much land that we take these birds that we make in a laboratory and we train them outside in the wild. And that was my job. I got to live, I, I would spend weeks sometimes when I go out into that location, not seeing a human. And I would have 12, you could see them on my personal Instagram, 12 to 16 baby falcons all day. I'd be in an ATV and I had to patrol for coyotes, you know, cause the coyotes are trying to eat these like 20 to $80,000 birds. Yeah. And my job was to like, so it was pretty, pretty, I, I was very fortunate. I've always been very, very fortunate to kind of have these kind of like side lives, I call them. Like, you know, like in a video game, you get like a side adventure that makes you better at the whole game. And here I am. And, you know, I'm realizing, oh man, I'm in the same thing, which was, I came to the United States and I said no to a golden retriever chumpin and nobody knew how I did that. And here I am now, now I know the science, you know, and going back to the music conversation we had was, now, <laughs> it's like music. You don't have to know theory to play music. You don't have to know theory to have a good life with a dog, right? You don't have to understand the science of it, right. how to have structure, how to be calm, which is what I like about your way of training, is that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to have a well-behaved dog that you can trust. But it does help later. And I always say this with music. Look. You can sing along to a song and then we can break it down. Then I can tell you the key and the BPMs and the meters and the scales and modes, but you don't have to know that to get along. Same thing with the dog. Um, with, a, with, with birds is a little yeah. tricky. The average dog owner, from my experience, yeah. doesn't care to learn the music theory as you're relating it to. 
They right. just want to know how to actually enjoy life with their dog, right? Exactly. exactly. So it's good for the professional to understand that stuff, but not necessarily to throw it at the client, the dog owner, because then that just throws an extra level of confusion. It's like, it's like if when you first picked up that harmonica and you were just playing along, right, and figuring it out and learning and all of that, if somebody threw a book of notes at you and said, this is the only way to do it, yeah, right? And you would have probably been lost as opposed to where you on your own decided there was a passion in it and you threw yourself into learning more about it. But the average client is not that. The average client is just the person who's like, I'm <clears throat> excuse me, I need to know how to live with my dog. Yeah. I need to know what to do to make this work. I need to know what to do to enjoy life with this dog. And I don't really care about the science behind it. Like that's for you, you know? Exactly. exactly. And and just to kind of bring that together too. So I have three things I offer people, right? Like I have my canine pack school, which I pick up your dogs. Very yeah, specific. That's cool. I like seeing that. Yeah, that's you a very that specific big service. Big that I love. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Queenie, Queenie, is that? Uh, uh, why am I forgetting her name? Um, Weenie. Oh God, it's something Lee like that. Winnie, Winnie. Winnie. Okay. okay, I wasn't so far off. <laughs> she's actually, she's actually a dwarfed Newfoundland. That's kind of cool. She's a year old, and she's they're actually related uh, genetically, but yeah. So I only offer my canine pack school to the clients who've done the work. If you've so done is that like daycare, it's a daycare where I challenge, I take your, so basically, you know, if we're going to keep it super transparent, a lot of my clients are Navy SEALs, doctors, lawyers. There are people that don't have a lot of time to do things with their dogs, yeah. but they want to be able to go out to a restaurant, the beach, the parks here. So what I do is if you've done all the foundation, if you are keeping the lifestyle up, I will condition your dog to that environment. So when you get out there, your dog already knows how to work on walk on the park, how to sit, how to lay down. And I celebrate with a lot of play. My dogs get a lot of play throughout. So they're just like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So I'm these doing dogs it. have all gone through your training program. Absolutely. No, okay. I do. I do nothing. No dog comes to my house. No dog goes in my van without the client having to prove themselves to that level. Gotcha. And even I just started group classes. My group classes are on another level. My group classes are the same thing. You can't come to me unless you've done private one-on-ones. If you come to my group classes, we're going to take your dog to a whole nother level. You know, you can go to Petco if you want first, you know, go to Petco, go do that. If you need like your basic stuff, yeah. whatever, you know, but when you come to me, we're going to teach the dogs to allow other dogs to play and they rotate, play some play. They build agilities, you know, have a mini agility course in the backyard. So that's kind of what I'm loving about right now. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll stop your dog's behavior, but I want to give you that next level stuff in the future. Once you've so already- you have the canine class, it's like the daycare, and then you have- canine pack school, I only offer that once a week on Wednesdays. You have to sign up weeks ahead. So I have it all scheduled out. I have the group classes, which are really a workshop. And then I offer a portal on my website. It's all for free. You can see exactly how I, I, I've collected all this information about dog training from all of my experience and I simplify it. You know, I talk about lifestyles. I have all the tips. I have all the structures, stuff, all that nonsense. 
not nonsense, stuff that gets thrown around very liberally, right? I have it all down. So like I tell people, hey, before you send me a question about how to stop your dog from breaking out of a crate or a place, go to my website. It's all written down. Then you can come to me. If you prove to me you've written it, I'll give you time for free. You know? Um, but that's kind of the next level stuff just because I, I needed that. You know, to be honest, I needed to do something more with dogs and just stop behaviors. Right. Because yeah, absolutely. I've been doing it for a long time. I've been stopping dogs from doing shit for a long time. What's, I'm sure there's a lot, but what's like one thing that stands out to you that you've taken from your experience working with birds that yeah. you, that you now bring into your life training dogs since you're not, you're not working with birds at all anymore. Right. If I understand well, correctly. I'm, I'm having, I'm getting torn. I'm getting torn right now. I'm like, shit, do I get another, do I get a hawk in the house or do I get pigeons? And it's two <laughs> different lifestyles. Having pigeons is, it would be amazing. You'll see us in every video. They'll follow us around town. You know, I'll get them to hang out with Blue. Having a hawk is a very particular job that you have to do. Right. So no, I don't have them right now. I just, I am obsessed with plants at the moment. I just yeah, I saw that. plants nonstop. Um, you know, the one takeaway, which I always tell clients, I always say to clients, there's only one secret to dog training. And the reason why it's a secret is because nobody says it enough. And that's repetition. Repetition is the secret. And if anybody ever taught me that, more than dogs, it's birds. If you don't stick to the repetition, if you don't show them like in your body language that you are aware, because they're so aware. I mean, birds, both preys, animals that are prey who don't want to get eaten and animals who are predators, birds are hyper vigilant of each detail. They taught me that repetition, consistency through repetition, just too many people take consistency and they don't apply the repetition part, is that was the one thing about birds that it goes through. And the only thing about birds too, it does make you, you do become hypersensitive around birds. In you what know? sense? You're very like hyper. Chicken? <laughs> What's that? Like not eating chicken? Like what do you mean by that? Uh, you become sensitive of your behaviors around them, how you okay. call them. You recognize that like, shit, like my hat is sideways. Because they pick up on everything. Yeah, because they're – and very intelligent dogs do this. Like highly intelligent dogs, which I'm not a fan of people getting highly intelligent dogs. <laughs> Stick with the dumb ones. <laughs> dumb, yeah. You have a lot more room for error with dumb dogs. With birds, you don't have room for error. You don't like you can't go to feed them and you fall and make a scary sound and think everything's okay. Nothing is okay now. Now you have to kind of work all over so it, again. So it forces you to be very like very vigilant of your own behavior, the energy you're giving off, the way you're presenting yourself, everything about you. That definitely is important with dogs. Like that's that's I think one of the, the things that's very overlooked with dogs, at least for dog owners, is because Dogs are watching us, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting here now, I'm talking to you. I have my three dogs and I have a client and two client dogs behind me. The entire time while I'm ignoring them, they're watching me, oh, right? Yeah. And they're learning me and they're learning the environment and they're picking up on everything. So as much, obviously it's not possible to live like this 24 seven, but if we can start to be more conscious of what we're teaching our dogs when we're not teaching our dogs, right? Like that's, that's key. That's, that's, that's the important side of everything because especially the way I approach training where it's lifestyle training, 
we're constantly teaching our dogs, right? I say this all the time. I'm, I must have like a hundred posts that give the same message in different ways, right? And, because, and we have to do that. I forget yeah. that to do that. I forget, like we're I constantly teaching our dogs. And it's not the sense that we're, it's that our dog, I should better say it is our dogs are constantly learning. Yep. yep. And because of that, we can either let that go and they'll just learn whatever, or we can be conscious of it and take advantage of that and use that as an opportunity to always be teaching as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have to, they have not, most dogs. So, and we'll talk about play. If you want to talk more about play, why do I talk so much about play with dogs? Most dogs truly have nothing to do all day. All they're doing, they're predators. They're actually predators and scavengers. They're studying us all day, all day. They're watching every single mannerism that we do. And now if we're not going to burn them out, if we're not going to mentally and physically tell them the things that they need to do, they're going to figure it out themselves. Sorry. Yeah. You can hear the motorcycle. Um, they're going to figure, they're going to give themselves a job. They're going to start studying every movement, what that sound of the cart in the driveway means, what it means when you put this shoe on as opposed to that shoe. What, and what else could they do? Like what else right. is there to do? They don't, they don't have an iPad. The best way for, the best way for anybody who wants to actually understand this <clears throat> because you, you get it. But like for anyone who's listening to actually see this in action, Watch what happens when your dog sees you put your shoes on. Be, yeah. Watch tomorrow morning when your dog is laying there chilling and it's just in its own world and it's not even watching you maybe and you start to put your shoes on. And yeah. then not only do you put your shoes on, you put your jacket on because at least here in New York, it's jacket season, right? And watch what happens. Your dog is always going to react to it differently than when you walk towards your bed or yeah. than when you are just sitting down and drinking a coffee because your dog knows that shoes means going outside. Not because you taught it that, because every single day since you've had that dog, it's seen you put those shoes on, open the front door and leave the house, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's learning, that's the dog learning. That's, that's learning through experience, which is really how dogs learn because he's watching you, he's experiencing it day in and day out. And then he knows that's the trigger, right? And if we wanna make it all like behaviorally, that's the cue, right? Your repetitions have created a cue and that cue right. creates a state of mind in the dog. And, and, and the main thing that I think is in when the way, because if we understand that, right, that that's how dogs learn. They dog, they learn through experience, through observation, right, of those right. experiences. And I have to and, say all animals, yeah. every animal on the planet, right? And I like to remind people this because everybody likes to be like, Oh, dogs. No, no. Every creature on this planet. That is the code of being on Earth. You learn through experience, through watching, pressure, repetition. Sorry, too. Yeah. No, just just when if people will actually understand that, that's all you need to know about it. The yeah. science stuff, as much as it's fascinating and you can dive into it, it actually doesn't matter when you understand that dogs are just learning through their experiences and what happens day in and day out, the repetition, right? And the consistency of that repetition and over and over and over, that's how they're learning. And if we just hone in on that, then actually dog training is really pretty simple what it boils down to. It's yeah. not It's not all the science and all the books. The books are great and the science is great. And if you're a dog trainer and you're into it or you're a dog owner and you're fascinated by it, learn it, no problem. I'm not bashing it, but I'm saying is it's not all necessary 
to understand and to know a dog and how to help it when you simply understand the basics of learning through experience and like you said like we all do learning through repetition like we all do right learning through patterns like we all do there's a reason why we were taught abcs with a song right it makes it that we remember it that's the pattern these are all innate simple things to understand if we just hone in on that a little bit and we take control of those things that are natural to our animals then it's simple to teach them it's really not rocket science no no and it's and that's that's our job i think our job or let's say this it should be our job is to demystify it to take the myth and the magic yeah. away the magic is is what happens when you're in the flow with an animal, it is not what a dog trainer can do with an animal. Meaning, and this is just to kind of play off what you're saying too, it's like, if you have a goal, I want my dog to stop being aggressive or pulling, and you create a little bit of a habit through awareness and repetition, you will get to that goal. How close you get to it maybe depends on your personality, the dog's personality, the environment, but we have to be, honest that whether you're losing weight, learning an instrument, wanting to be a better partner, be a better dog owner, having a little goal, creating small habits with awareness and repetition, it's going to get you there. Whether you're trying to stop like me, eating ice cream, I eat ice cream every day. I've been taught, I've already mentioned ice cream in this conversation early on. If any of my clients are watching, they're like, fucking Salo, always talking about ice cream. Like, I don't get over it by not eating ice cream today, I have to, it's an awareness thing. Right. Um, everything is an awareness thing. You know, an awareness, awareness is something that is worth gold as a human. We have this super computer. It's like, let's use that. Um, and again, and going back to what you're saying, exactly. It's like, you don't have to know the science to get a good dog. You can have a good dog. And then if you want to break down the science, great. I am, Obviously, we've been we've been on this for two hours. I love talking. I look, I love breaking things down. So I've done it out of out of joy, right? Um, but it is something that it's our job. Our job is to simplify it for people and teach people. Hey, we've done this hundreds of times. That's why it works with us. Let me let me figure out who your dog is and who you are and make this an easier connection. Let me be. Yeah, I like the way I like the way you worded it. That it's to to demystify it so that it's it's understood that it's actually not magic, right? Because it could look like that. Yeah, we have to. Nothing, sometimes I don't take it as a compliment when people are like, wow, how is my dog doing this stuff with you? My heart breaks a little bit. And I stop the session for a minute. I go, hey, 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 I get paid to do this. We're going to get you here. We're going to get you here. Don't let your brain allow you to think that this is just something that happens with me. Right. Because... And you know, those people that I even say that to, they'll text me the day, the night or the day after be like, thank you for saying that the walk was good because now I know I can hold my dog accountable to that behavior. You proved me that the dog can do it and I'm trying my best to get it there, right? Um, but in reality, you know, people like you and me, we're not just dog trainers. If I wanted to just be a dog trainer, I go back to Nevada, live in the desert, and have people drop off dogs, never talk to people again, or better, just train hunting dogs and then send them off. Yeah. We're not. We, we, we are here to educate humans. And in a very weird world, in a world where you need a, a degree and a certification for everything, it's kind of strange that, and I mean, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't 
kosher to bring this up in this, but it's kind of funny to think that like people allow us in their home and there is no certification, no degree. Right. They trust how we work with animals. Thank God for social media. Yeah. You can see it and be like, oh, okay, this guy knows how to work with these breeds. He he knows how to put the dog through a bit of an environmental test. But um it's so important, right? Like for us to humble ourselves down and remember, and I try to remember, and this is where I, I get emotional about it. I try to remember every day, every day, people are going through a pretty hard time with their dogs. People are in the dark. This is their best friend, their baby, the animal they chose, or maybe some people think the animal chose them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know, I know. We'll, we'll play it safe. Yeah. But, try to remind myself every day like Gonzalo, you were lucky enough that dogs tried to take your ice cream early on and you understood how to say no and use pressure now these people don't these people have been told and shamed that's i mean there's there's a lot of stuff out there on google the first moment you put e-collar or the four quadrants that says don't say no to a dog right and i know i'm gonna go off topic and i'll come right back i'm like Wait, what do you mean you can you don't say no to your dog? I just watched your cat say no to your dog. What? You're allowed to say dog, and I liberate people. I'm like, you can, we're gonna say no. Come on, well, say people no. who people who claim not to say no to their dog do say no to their dog. They just don't say the sound that no makes. Yeah, they disagree with their dog's behavior, I like and that's why that. when they get frustrated, they raise their voice. It's not because they're not saying no. It's because they're saying no. You just want to use a different sound for it. You want to use a different word for it. You want to use your emotions and your body for it and let yourself get frustrated. But that's what saying no is. It's yep. disagreeing with the behavior, yep. right? So yep. this idea that people live their life never saying no to their dog, it's not even a, it's not even true. It's, it's not a, true. It's a fallacy because what it boils down to is that you don't make a specific sound out of your mouth. That's really what it is. Exactly. I can say good and punish a dog and it's going to mean no. Right. Yep. And, yep. and people who claim not to say no to their dog don't really, if they actually watch themselves from an observational point, 24 hours a day with their dog, guaranteed they say no many, many times. They disagree with their dog's behavior. They're just not doing it in a way that's actually working. Hence why they keep suffering. So yeah. they might as well learn how to do it in a way that's going to work properly because they're doing it anyways. And then, you know, life can get better. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and man, there's so many good things we're tapping on. So many good things. One of those things is that it's the people who are already yelling at their dog and, and doing pretty nasty things to their dog. And I come in and I go, oh, no, we're going to punish the dog. You see them go, well, well, what is that going to look like? I've already done everything I don't like to do. And I'm like, yeah, it's what you don't like to do. And I don't need you to yell for your dog to understand no. I don't need you to beat your dog. I don't need you to ramp up the e-collar. We just need to simplify it and teach the dog what a word means. Now, now, why do I say no, the word no? And I make this simple. Because almost in every language I've ever spoken, the word no means something. When my dog goes running up to the mailman, as friendly as my dog is, I want the mailman to go, no, 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 and my dog to go, I screwed up. I'm going back in the crate. Sorry, guy. You know, the word good, too. I teach the word good to be a very specific thing because everywhere I go, people tell my dog's good dog. It, that I teach all my dogs. Good means stay and keep doing that behavior. You know, no. And, and that's what I tell people. I'm like, hey, 
if if I go up to a person and say, hey, could I borrow your phone? And they go, no. They don't need to scream it. They don't need to make a whole show about it, right? I understand the word no. And that's the same thing with the dog. When a com dog comes over to me and goes, hey, can I have some of your chips? No. I don't need to scream it. I don't need to bang anything. That's already been trained. And I think it's so important to, to bring that up. You know, it's a great point that you're bringing up. The same people that say they don't use pressure or the word no are the same people that are heavily used in their body and leash. They don't understand how much negative reinforcement, which I'm a fan of negative reinforcement. I think it's fine. How much negative reinforcement, negative punishment they're actually using to stop behaviors. And I'm like, well, the way you're using is actually confusing to your dog. Your dog lives in a world not knowing if the button's going to actually get it what it wants or not. Right. My dogs all know that the buttons they touch and the cues that I say will always give that. It's an agreement. Yeah. Yeah. And all right, man, we can talk all night, but yeah. we do have to wrap it up. But I want to ask you my one question that I love to ask everybody, um, which is if there was one thing that you could tell every dog owner, not trainers, but every dog owner, what would it be? Um, it has two sides. Two sides. One is we need to create a lifestyle with agreements. And once we create that lifestyle with agreements, the best way to evolve your dog is to now start using play. Once we can use play mixed in with those agreements, you now become the absolute best thing in the dog's life. The, I have dogs that look at me obsessively because they know that I – with structure, if you behave in the car, if you don't pick on anyone, if you don't pull, I will take you to what I know you love the best. You know, and I have to learn each dog, right? But I want everybody to know that there's two sides to the coin. Balanced dog training to me is structure and enjoyment. Enjoy. That's what I call balance. I know balance can mean anything to anyone. But yeah. yeah it has the two sides and and with play i could talk about play forever because play to me is tapping into a predatory mind the predator that the dog actually is you know so it's fulfillment yeah does anyone ask ever ask you that question back uh no i haven't been asked it back yet <laughs> well we're running on two hours do you mind giving me what you what you what you would say I'm going to think about it for a second because I've heard so many answers from people who I yeah. asked this to, but I've never. You have some amazing people on this podcast. You have people on here that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy, by the way, just to remind you, I'm, you're doing a great job with all of this. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. It's um, so what would I want dog owners to know? I think if there was one thing that I had to boil it down to, it would be that as much as you think your dog chose you, you're choosing this dog, you're choosing to bring it into your life and you owe it, you have the responsibility and you owe it to do what's best for the dog, not just for you. And that means a lot of things. That means understanding what's right for a dog, yeah. even if it doesn't feel right for you. It means, it means, and ultimately it will be best for you too, but it means learning what's most appropriate for a dog in order for it to thrive in your environment it means taking it seriously because dogs don't know what to do in our environment at all and 
I think that when, when you choose to bring an animal into your life, and in this case, a dog, to take the responsibility very seriously in every aspect of it, because it's, it's a living, breathing, feeling, thinking being that yeah. deserves to be respected for that and to be treated that to be treated in what's best for it. And obviously we as humans have to do what's best for us too, but it's no longer just about you once you decide to bring this dog into your home. That's what I yeah. think I would tell dog owners. That's yeah, that's beautiful. That's truly honoring the dog. Yeah. Instead and of I think that we owe that to the dog and ultimately to ourselves if we want to have a good relationship with our dog. I yep. think that's what training is about. I think that's what dog ownership is about, dog companionship. I think that's what it's all about. And if we want to have a relationship with a human, we should have a relationship with a human. But yeah. we choose dogs because there's something special and different about them. And you're not going to get that by not giving your dog what's best for it. You're going to get a very low level of that. Yeah, that's lovely. That's great. I'm happy to have, to have yes. your answer on. That's what I got to say about that. You made me think about it, but I appreciate that you asked because no one ever asked me it back. Yeah, um, no, I would love to see a post of that so people can see it. You know, I, you make great posts with great, your sentences. It'd be good for people to to see that too. Yeah, definitely. Two hours of us, but next time we'll All have right, to- man, let's wrap this up. Let everyone know where they can find you, follow you, get a hold of you, find uh, your portal, all that fun stuff. The human dog team everywhere. It's the human dog team.com, the human dog team on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on TikTok. Um, my canine portal is basically a, a directory and like a copy of my dog training brain just typed out uh, right now because of COVID it's free. I gave it act free access to everybody. Later on, I'm going to start charging again for it. And but how yeah, do people access that? It's on your website. It's on my website. It says canine portal. There's a lot of information there. A lot of information. It's a little overwhelming for some people, but uh, yeah, take advantage of it while it's free. It's the best thing to do. Um, yeah, this awesome. Thoroughly a pleasure. Thank you for doing this, and thank you for bringing so many different and unique uh, professional dog trainers together. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun. I feel yeah. like we can talk forever, but we've been talking for a while, but this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on, and sharing your story and everything that you have it was fascinating to hear Thank and you. appreciate everybody who listened who watched who follows along with all of this stuff anyone who actually made it for the full, full two hours you guys are you guys are champs real fans appreciate you guys all right have a good night everyone have a good Thanks night for tuning in. love you all